You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. Although we remain limited in our options for treating patients with memory loss and Alzheimer's, there are a variety of non-pharmacologic treatments that are showing some promise. How might arts programs improve the quality of life for these patients? Joining us to discuss theater as therapy for Alzheimer's and memory loss are Mary O'Hara, social worker at Cognitive Neurology and Alzheimer's Disease Center at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and Christine Dunford, cultural anthropologist, ensemble member of Chicago's Looking Glass Theater, and founding teaching artist with the Chicago Arts Partners in Education program. I welcome both of you to our program today. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, so tell us a bit about the pilot program you're both involved with called the Memory Ensemble. That's a collaboration between Northwestern and Looking Glass Theater Company. It's a pilot program. We just ran the first series of workshops. It was a seven-week, 90-minute-a-session program to work with people experiencing early-onset memory loss using improvisation and other theater games and activities. All right, so they're playing games. They are playing games. We have a pattern of activities that we do every workshop session. We do a warm-up activity. We do warm-ups that warm up the mind, the body, and the voice. We usually start with the body, and then we do a a vocal warm-up that's fun and easy. And then we start warming up the mind by doing uh, different kinds of games, actually. And then we have a skill-building section where we start to introduce new skills and new activities, and then we have a sort of warm down and a a check out. So who are the performers? Just the people afflicted or their caregivers, family members, loved ones? It's just the people who are afflicted, and Mary O'Hara and I co-facilitate the program. Occasionally, we have had some guests, and whenever guests join us, they are asked to fully participate as well. Mary, how did the neurology program get involved with this? Well, as Christine said, this is a a partnership between the Cognitive Neurology and Alzheimer's Disease Center and the Looking Glass Theater. The idea was really conceived by Christine and my colleague Darby Moorhart, who are on a committee together involved in community-engaged research. And the three of us together developed the program, bringing together the priority that we have here at our center of helping people to maintain or improve the quality of their life, keeping life meaningful and full despite this diagnosis. And an area that Christine specializes in, in her work at The Looking Glass, which is improv theater. And we decided to bring these two things together because we know that a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease doesn't necessarily diminish a person's ability to be creative. And in fact, we know that there are many benefits of the creative arts and interventions for people with dementia or Alzheimer's disease or related conditions. And improv is an intervention that really focuses on a lot of the strengths that are preserved in people um, in the early stages of memory loss. It really sees a person with this diagnosis for their creative potential as opposed to the losses that they're experiencing. 
And the nature of improv is all about being spontaneous and being in the moment and not being concerned about the past and not being concerned about the future. And it's a very safe place for someone with memory loss. Let's stay with this for a couple seconds because when, you know, our listeners think about Alzheimer's patients and they think about their difficulty in new situations, at first blush, improv would be, gee, I can't imagine them doing this. But when you set the stage, so to speak, and say, you know, forget about the past, it's all in the moment, that's a whole different story. So how do these people enjoy the social interactions and being in the moment? You know, to your first point about how we recruited people to join this, definitely there was a, a sense of, well, I've never done that before. That's really intimidating. I've never even performed. I've never been on stage. You know, to ask them to try something new was, I think, asking a lot. But in their evaluation, when we asked why they joined the program, their responses were really that they wanted to use their mind in new ways. They wanted to try something new, and they wanted to meet other people who truly understood what they were going through. I think definitely at first, some of these exercises people felt uneasy with because they were so foreign. But as they began to feel more secure and as they began to trust one another, they really felt safe in that unscripted nature of what we were doing. And they talked about how they went from really not knowing what to say or not knowing what to how to respond in the moment and feeling the stress of that to all of a sudden coming up with three ideas and three directions that they could have taken a scene. So they really kind of developed a confidence over um, the course of the program in their ability to be in the moment and know that no matter what they say, there are no rights or wrongs. Everything that they say will be accepted. Everything that they say will be right and will lead to another interesting aspect of whatever scene or character that they're creating. I think that's exactly it. I think that also the curriculum is designed to set people up for success. The curriculum is designed to take people step by step, simple steps to simple steps through um, activities that will build their skills, build their familiarity. And we always, each workshop, start with familiar activities and then build on them, complicate them a little bit more each time to add new skills or new challenges. So people are always starting with places that they're familiar and comfortable. And it's easy for them to go through these steps each week again and then continue and add on. The other thing is the philosophies and the fundamental principles that underlie this kind of improvisation work are, just as Mary said, they're very supportive. It's very challenging, but it's also very supportive. There's a game, for instance, that we play called Yes, It Is, and it's the game that Mary was referring to, which expresses a fundamental principle in all this work that really helps the people we're working with. I think it helps anybody, but it particularly helps the people we're working with. And that is we'll ask each of the participants to put an everyday object in the center of the room so somebody might put their keys or a checkbook or a purse or a sweater. And then the participants are asked to transform this object very quickly without really thinking about it, just by moving it through space to walk to the center, pick it up, and transform it into three things. So a black sweater might be tossed into the air and become a thundercloud on a hot summer day, and then it might become somebody's blanket when they're cold, and they'll transform it into three things, and the rest of the group speaks every time they transform the object, the rest of the group says, yes, it is, and just the participants get to go through that moment of fear when they don't know what to transform it 
into when they don't know if what that comes into their head is going to be entertaining or clever or interesting. And they speak it, and everybody speaks back to them, yes, it is. And they gain a tremendous feeling of accomplishment and self-worth and excitement, and people start to get excited about their own ideas. And then we talk about how that pattern, that feeling of not knowing and not trusting our instincts or our immediate response happens in everyday life and how we can trust the ideas that are going to come to us and that enough people around us will say, yes, it is, that we will be safe. But they also just have amazing ideas always, and they see each other have amazing ideas always, and they start to trust that they also have amazing ideas always. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss theater as therapy for Alzheimer's and memory loss are Mary O'Hara, social worker at Cognitive Neurology and Alzheimer's Disease Center at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and Christine Dunford, cultural anthropologist, ensemble member of Chicago's Looking Glass Theater and founding teaching artist with the Chicago Arts Partners in Education program. All right, let's move on. It's wonderful to think about a safe place where people can actually say whatever they want and feel comfortable in it and have that repetition week in and week out. What do we know about the outcomes so far? We know that this is a pilot program, but besides people really liking it and enjoying it, which in itself may be enough, what else do we know? For this program, we did pre- and post-quality of life evaluation. So we asked members to complete a quality of life scale in the beginning of the program before the intervention, and then we asked them to complete it at the end. This quality of life scale asks questions about their mood, their life as a whole, um, how they feel about their memory, their health, their ability to do enjoyable things, their relationships with other people. And we did find improvements in their scores on this quality of life scale. Every single member, their scores went up after participating in this intervention. And then in addition to that scale, we also did an evaluation where we asked members to um, fill out a form and give us feedback about the program. And a number of them indicated that as a result of participating, they were more able to accept their diagnosis. They felt less isolated. They felt less alone and less depressed. And a number of them commented that they were more able to cope with the cognitive changes. And then in addition to that, we also took field notes. Uh, We had another staff member in each of the sessions taking notes on what was going on and the conversations that we would have after doing each activity, how the members were processing the activity and how they felt about it afterwards. In analyzing the field notes, we really see these themes of just having this sense of accomplishment, realizing their own potential, and building their confidence. I know that one member talked about how the exercises would build her confidence, and that confidence would carry on outside of the classroom, outside of the room, and it would carry on into the rest of her day. So those are just some observations we have from some of the field notes that we took as well. But overall, the results suggest that members found the program very emotionally supportive and very cognitively stimulating, and that it did improve the quality of their life. Christine, who's in the audience? Is there an audience? Do the family members get to watch? Do the caregivers get to be there, or is it closed? It's closed. It's for us. It's for the participants. So they become each other's audience, which is really amazing because as they 
for instance, towards the end of the session, start to do more complicated things. I create fictional characters, and they create fictional characters around issues that are important to them. And the three issues that became important to this group were family, health, and feeling connected. So they created characters in fictitious monologues, for instance, about those issues, and they became their own audience, and it actually became an opportunity for them to process some of the situations that they're encountering in their own lives in a safe way. We did have, at the end of the workshop, we had what we called a show and share, where we invited family members and other and friends from the participants, but also from our two organizations to come actually participate in a mini-workshop and then ask the participants questions. I think that will continue to be a part of the program into the future. It was very successful in sharing with others what was happening in the program, but also in promoting understanding and conversation. All right, so tell us about the future plans as we wind down. Uh, Is Memory Ensemble going to go on the road, or is it going to go to other centers? What are the plans? I think our immediate next step is to do another pilot. I would like to further develop the curriculum we learned some things this first time, and I think we'd like to do it again. Down the road, we're looking for funding to actually develop a curriculum that uh, manual and to replicate the program. And uh, finally, for our audience, any suggestions on what they can do or where they can look for similar programs that might provide this safe place and social haven for patients with Alzheimer's disease? For those individuals who are connected with a center like ours or either in the Chicagoland area or or even outside, I would suggest talking to the social worker at the center about what early stage programs are available. And, you know, the momentum now is really listening to the individual who has a diagnosis, listening to their voice and hearing from them what they say they want and they say they need. And then we know as the incidence of Alzheimer's disease and related disorders increases, um, we're going to have a greater need for these types of programs. So being vocal about what an individual with a diagnosis and their family needs so that more programs can be developed. I'd like to thank uh, my guests from Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine and Looking Glass Theater Company, Mary O'Hara and Christine Dunford. Thanks very much to both of you for being our guests this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.